Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to season three of Stages Podcast, where we continue to bring creation and connection to center stage. So remember, Steph, last week when we um, talked about Charlie and... <gasps> and oh, oh, my God. Oh. And the commercial and the fabulous name. And we're so and, clever and cute and hilarious. And I talk stuffed animals, but we and, got it all wrong, which yeah. is not like us. But at the no. same time, are we surprised? No. You know why? Do you know why <laughs> we turned Carly into Charlie? Let's be honest. Do we know why? Do you want to tell them why? Because you let the dyslexic read the name. Oh. Do not entrust me. <laughs> With things like that. It's so bad. But we're here's so the sorry, beauty. Carly. And we reached out personally. And could she have been more gracious? And she, you know, she let it roll off her back. She corrected us. And I love <laughs> her for doing that. I love her for saying, like, no, that's wrong. Why don't we get that right? <laughs> so I applaud her right off the bat just for speaking up for herself and calling us oh, out. Carly. So Carly, 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 let's say Carly, 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 everybody, Carly, Carly. <laughs> She's amazing. Thank We're you, sorry. Carly. Bye. Gavin J, that's for James Creel, is wildly entertaining. He's joyful, he's charismatic, generous, and playful on stage. No two performances of a show will ever be exactly the same. He's an example of comfort and freedom, and I love him for that. Then, then you get to know him in real life, and all of those words that I just used, they apply. But now you get to witness his huge heart, his commitment to equity and equality, and his effort to find beauty everywhere. That's what inspires me about him. Mm. He literally makes it a point to find beauty everywhere. He is a songwriter and a masterful one at that. And he just premiered his incredible musical Walk On Through, a musical he wrote, music, lyrics, and book and he showcased this at the diamond stage and it was him and again you fell in love with him because it was deep and light it was soul affirming and heartbreaking it was poetic and sexy it was unlike anything i'd ever seen i felt so privileged to be in the audience to witness the invited dress rehearsal of walk on through i feel privileged to call him my friend and we at stages feel so privileged that he is on the podcast with us today Gavin Creel, can we have you to stage, please? Gav, please come to stage. Hi. 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 That was so lovely. Thank you so much for all those wonderful things you just said. We're I'm just so, so happy, happy you're, you're here. here. So happy. I saw so you twice into the woods and just kind of fell in love with you from my seat. You guys looked like you were having so much fun just playing and, yeah. and cracking each other up. And it was adorable. I love it. And you're so wonderful in that character. He's Thank so you. wonderful. We have so much fun. And and I have to say, I used to, I don't know about this, if you ever feel that way, this way about them. People compliment, like compliments are always tricky after a show because mm. as a performer, I admit 
I'm hungry for them. Mm, I'm yeah, hungry for sure. that validation, for that affirmation. It's something that I'm never going to grow out of. I enjoy them at the same time. I read into them so deeply. And a lot, mm. a lot of people, like with Into the Woods, most people say to me, more than any compliment I get or anything, you look like you're having so much fun. Yeah. And I worry sometimes, does it look like I'm not taking it seriously or I'm having too much fun? I, I read into it a little. The other, oh, the I other, know what you're saying. You know what I mean? I the other, you're saying. The yeah. other compliment I get, um, I used to take offense to that now I think is the greatest compliment I can get is when people say, you're just you. You're just you. Up oh, there. no, that that to me is the greatest compliment. I feel some of our um, best stars, that's when they infuse themselves into any play, language, poem, song. If you can do that, if you can be the vessel for someone else's words, but still maintain who you are, yeah. those are our stars. Mm -hmm. I think that is the superpower that most of us try to claim. I want to go though, I want to immediately go to walk on through. Forgive my ignorance, but I don't know how to define it. When I was writing your intro, I was like, is it a poem? Is it an hour and 40 minutes of sort of a new way of expressing oneself through connection and conversation and music and art? Mm -hmm. um, I'll let you explain exactly sure. its sort of genesis and, and the Metropolitan Art Museum. Um, but it's not a book musical. It's not in a form that would typically make sense for a musical as yeah. we would define it. So explain that to us as the author. I'm going to tell you we're in process, right? That was what you saw was a, a well, it was a, a staged reading of sorts, but it was more like a reading. But it with our technical aspect, our incredible projections and designer, David Bengali, set designer, Javier Amahedas, and Jiun Chang, our lighting designer, they just sort of knocked it out of the park and made it feel more production than it was. Whoa. Holy crap. Yeah. yeah. But there was no rehearsal. We did two rehearsals in Euphorious, like band rehearsal, two sits probes where, where just it was just a band. There was no rehearsal. It was just like, okay, instinct and go, here we go. But what I'm learning, and I say that just to say, we're still, I have rewrites to do and I got to cut stuff and change stuff and da, da, da. But I'm learning, I think probably it will lose the word musical because oh. when you hear musical, you, you expect a certain thing and I'd like to subvert your expectations. It's also something I'm aware of. I mean, maybe I'm telling too much of my private business, but I don't know. I think transparency, especially in today's time, is imperative in all walks of our life. I kind of see the possible problem from a marketing standpoint or a you know advertising standpoint of like people in our business are obsessed with knowing what they're seeing before they see it. We just yes. are, mm -hmm. and and like it or not, it's the reality of our business. We can rail against it. We can. I I, I can't stand that. I love being surprised. I love mm -hmm. sitting down and having no idea what I'm about to see. I am in the minority because yeah. we've been trained that way. I think, and then also because it costs too much money to see a theater piece. Mm -hmm. It's too expensive, and that's there's that's a a longer conversation for another day, but. It makes sense that you, I need to know what I'm seeing. I need to mm -hmm. know. It's why people are obsessed with reviews. I want to know, is it good? I want to be told it's good. What is mm -hmm. it about? Is I want to know what to I think about it. Exactly. Well, I think the world feels incredibly precarious and has for a while. So people are longing to yeah. know what they're in store for in, in any way. You know, when they go to the movies, they want to know what they're yep. going to disappear into. If yep. they're going to pay all this money for a theater ticket, they want to know 
what kind of entertainment am I going to sit down and have? I was talking to a producer and he said, the audience needs to be told exactly what the play is in the first five minutes. And that to me as an artist, I go, okay, great. You're going to check off all the boxes and you may be satisfied, but you're not going to be thrilled. Mm. And if you take Mm. the leap, I'm serious. If you were to say, okay, it's not a musical, it's an experience. And you don't define what that experience looks like. And you come in with an open heart and an open mind. Mm -hmm. You are able to go places that you wouldn't be able to go to if you're looking at the menu and you go, oh, a delicious cold glass of milk that's going to fill me up. It's not going to upset my belly. I know exactly what that tastes like. Mm -hmm. Or... The mystery item. On you the will table. get something to drink. Yeah, you you're will, gonna, something you will just be provided. Don't know what it is. That's exactly. right. Exactly. Yeah, and you walk out of there going, "I would have never tried that on the menu," right. but holy cow, this is now my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. That I think with the with this piece, as we're exploring it and learning, like I probably take that moniker off musical, so you don't expect that certain thing. It's I do think there's value in. Can you just give me a heads up? You know, what am I, what, what should I, what am I walking into? I don't need to know the specifics, but is it a one man show? Is it a, I, 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 I've been calling it a concertcle from my, (laughs) as long as I've been writing it. It's some, because I do think I, it makes people giggle like that, but I, I say it because I do think it's a little bit, maybe unlike something that you've seen before. So I'm going to give you a name for something you've never heard before, but it's like a musical and a concert, have a baby. And here we are, concertcore. I wanted to go back to say maybe what Marilyn was saying about Shakespeare, in a sense, told us what the play was about in every prologue, right? Mm -hmm. Like here, this is what you're going to see. Here's the beginning, middle, and an end. So we're like, so we sort of been doing it all and all time, you know, two households, both alike in dignity and fervor only where they are seen from ancient grudge, break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean from forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star crossed lovers take their life. He tells you they're going to kill themselves. Right. Whose misadventured piteous overthrows doth with their death, bury their parents strife. Their death will heal the war between these two families. The which of you with patient ears attend what here shall miss our toil as actors shall strive to mend. Oh my so, God, you just did a Shakespeare so spoiler. Amazing. <laughs> like just well, off the tongue, that's y'all. The, I learned that in college and that's the one thing I can, I can, I practice as like tongue twister before a show sometimes, whatever. But, but that, that in the sense, I understand the, the, the obligation as a writer, as a producer, as a director, as, as a marketer, give me a heads up. Tell me mm-hmm. what I'm about to walk into. Now, I, so I agree with you there, but I, Steph, I would say, but don't tell me everything. Don't show me everything. Don't don't let me discover. And right. my hope is with Walk On Through was originally an idea by uh, Limor Tomer and Aaron Flannery. My friend, Matt Quam, who is a friend of mine for almost 20 years now, said, hey, I work at the Met. Is there any chance you want to come have a meeting with these two women who run what's called the Met Live Arts Department? It's the only performance-based curatorial department at a major museum in the world. And it's basically, they collaborate with musicians, um, opera directors, opera singers, musical theater people, singers, choreographers, all different types of people. And they say, we think, we, we like what you're making in the world. Here's a membership card, have at the museum. And when you come up with an idea and you're inspired by something in the museum, tell us and we'll help you produce a concert. Yeah. Wow. So, so that's how it started. And 
they gave me a membership card and I just sort of wandered. And and the truth that they came to say, what are you thinking? I said, the truth is I've never been here before. I've never been to the Met. I've lived in New York for 20 years and it's a little embarrassing to admit, but it's the truth. And I, I try to, as an actor and especially as a writer, I think acting is BS most of the time. <laughs> so the only way I can save myself from my own cynicism is to try to tell as much of the truth as I possibly can. And if I can't do it, I feel like a phony. So I try to like live in the moment. That's why I think you and I, Steph, have such fun is because whatever is there is what we are using. Whether my body or my voice feels broken, I'm here. I'm using what's there. Whether my humor or the frustrations of the audience or the joys of the audience are there, I'm going to use it. I'm going to let it fuel because that is what is truth in that moment. That's right. And with my writing, at least for this, this is the first major theater piece I've ever written. The only salvation I had as a writer as I kept going was when I would get lost and I still am lost. I'm like, I have to do these rewrites. What am I going to fix? I know this isn't working. I got to fix this. I don't know where to go. Just tell the truth. Go into what was real. Try to source something that actually happened. I keep coming back to just tell the truth. Right. Because the truth is we live in a world where everybody is asking you, what, what should I expect? Everybody's saying, this is who I am on every social media platform. They're telling, everybody's telling our secrets. And Um, there are versions of the truth now, which there never used to be, right? Now there's versions of what's true. Yeah. I mean, I mean, false, fake news. I mean, it's it's inventions of what, what, so we don't actually know who to trust. Yep. I don't know who to trust. And I'm somebody who I try to pride myself on believability, vulnerability, honesty, and, and authenticity. How do you find that in a world where you're like, I'm, I'm a Democrat, Donald Trump is elected. And on that day he's elected, I'm like, oh my God, am I maybe actually going to hell for being a gay man? Is this act? Because I cannot fathom a world where this would become a reality. I was, I was baked that day. And I just yeah. thought, oh, maybe I am bad for being gay. Maybe that maybe the truth is all going to come forward and I actually have to negotiate my way through the possibility that I'm wrong. I mean, this is this is the deep dive I just went on, so forgive me. I'm trying to source truth. And so with this piece, the only concept when they called me a few months in, like, oh, what are you thinking? I said, the only thing I can think is that I gotta tell a story about a middle-aged guy who's lost. And has been asked to do something that he has no idea how to do. That we is get life. To witness that. Yes. That is the truth you are offering us. So these words, right? I trust the people that are telling, not selling. If I can sniff yeah. selling, then I start to. Oh, I love I start that. To lean back. Yeah. Um, and for me, as an audience member of your consecral, I was like, mm-hmm. I'm witnessing a person who's telling us, I'm not quite sure, I'm figuring it out. And we got to be privy to you figuring it out. And even at the end, it's not figured out. It's unfinished. But we got to see the peeling of the onion. And mm-hmm. then you put, you marry it with the visual arts. And mm. I can't tell you how the power compounded. So just to I- explain, just to people who are listening, is I decided to go through the museum and write down any time I ever said the words, I ever made a sound like, hmm, or huh, or wow. I made myself write about it. I said, you have to stop. If you went, huh, okay, you have to write anything, go. Mm. And and what, what the show has ended up being is Thanks to David Bengali's amazing, their amazing projection design that we're just tipping, getting the tip of the iceberg. But it's a sharing of about 50 pieces of art over the course of the night so that you get to live. 50% of it is 
my creation and 50% of it is you witnessing the creation of geniuses before us that that are housed in the Metropolitan Museum of Art and the fraudulent nature of of creation that I think they all felt mm-hmm. in creating like I, I one of the one of the curators told me that Cezanne worked so quickly that he didn't even sign some of his stuff. He's like, ah, and he'd throw mm. it down and he would make something else. Later, they just found stacks of it. And then there would be somebody else who would be fastidious and obsessed, like um, um, Carpeau when he was chiseling away years and years of Ugolino and his sons, which is one of my favorite pieces at the Met. You cannot believe that the marble statue isn't about to come to life. I mean, mm. you can see the pressure, the, the, the strength of which the fingers are pressing into the skin of the mm. legs of the other people. And you look at it in the first lines of the, show is I'm halfway through a life that I've tried hard to sustain by living unrelentingly fast. That mm-hmm. the whole truth is that I, I, I've i been operating on this, this machine of just get, get there, get there, get there, get there, get there, get there, get to New York, get to get, get the, or get the application done so you can get into college, get to college, work really hard so you can get to Broadway, get to Broadway so you can get on Broadway or get off Broadway or meet people and go, go, go. And the older I get, the more I'm like, you've got to slow down. Mm-hmm. You've got to breathe. And there's a theme mm-hmm. that goes out throughout called look, breathe, wait. So you and, started out as one artist and you ended up as another. Oh, absolutely. Really. Yeah. It, was, it was, it was like, it was a discovery and it continues mm-hmm. to be a discovery. And as Lee Moore, who was um, the woman who brought me in with Aaron Flannery, they, she said, art is iterative. So this thing will change and change each time you do it. Even the Cezans that hang on the wall, he probably would be like, oh my gosh, that's how I was painting then. I paint so exactly. differently now. Yeah, I was just going like, to say that. I was going to say, this isn't your only chance to express those truths that are your truths now, right? Yeah. You still have another 40 years to go. You have plenty of truths that you get to express in different ways. And it may not be through art next time, but it may be through some other exploration because you seem like you dig deep into everything that you explore, I try to. right? Yeah. Okay, I have a quick little thing. Love it. Keith Haring or Andy Warhol? You know, I'm going to say Andy Warhol just because Reese, I know more about Andy because I watched that incredible documentary that, yes. that Bill Irwin voiced. And yes. I thought I found that fascinating and understood. I. What I loved about it, I don't know if you found this. Did you get a chance to see him really? The, no, the, I didn't the, see it. It's worth a watch. It's really neat how they did it. They used this AI technology to use Bill Irwin's voice to. And he sounded a lot like what, because they had actual recordings of Andy Warhol interspersed with Bill Irwin's narrating of his life. Mm-hmm. I, but I, what I found most inspiring for me as I'm writing Walk On Through is I watched this person who was enigmatic and some would call affected and definitely a curated body. And I watched his doubt. I watched mm-hmm. his humanity. I watched his need for love. I watched his loneliness all things that I identify with deeply. I watched his um, worrying that he was fraudulent next to Basquiat, who was clearly just this this much younger version of Andy. Andy was Mm -hmm. doing what Basquiat was doing when he was younger. Um, But I don't think he had anybody who was, Basquiat was straight and Andy was obsessed with him and but a friend of his and, and watching that relationship and the distance between their age and mentoring versus teaching versus collaborating. I, I just, I found it all really beautifully inspiring and painful and sad yeah. Yeah. because as a gay man, I watched 
all the questions that he had that he turned to art and, and blew himself up and became this thing, I think, out of protection because it was a time and a space when he could not be just Andy from Pittsburgh. That's what where, he had to do to walk on through. That's exactly. What he had to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's Next, beautiful. Renoir or Degas? Degas. Mm -hmm. Me too. Degas. Cezanne or Monet? Monet, can I tell you why? Yes. Because I was told that by, I'm pretty sure this is truth, and forgive me, I haven't studied this in depth, but someone at the museum told me that the reason Impressionism and his paintings was because his vision was so bad. So he just painted what he saw. Which so were the, the blurring of colors. Yes. Oh, so interesting. <gasps> yeah. He had he had vision issues. So he just was, it was definitely a different brushstroke and impressionism was, but that was birthed by what they were all trying. They were all friends. They were all talking to each other and meeting up and eating and drinking and, and inspired by one another's work. It was a, a bit like Jason Robert Brown being inspired by, um, I guess Sondheim is his, his mentor, but, but yeah, like by Tom Kitt and Tom Kitt by Adam Gettle and Adam Gettle by yeah, Georgia right. Stitt and Georgia Stitt by, you know, on and on and on. Who else? Who else? more. Van Gogh or Picasso? Picasso, even though he was a son of a bitch, his, his, his brain and his weirdness. That cubist is just oh. so strange and he was such a trailblazer. And yes, and, pers personally yeah. wise and character struggle. flaw wise, one thing, I struggle with that. Do you know what I love about Picasso also is he was very much like, I believe, um, da Vinci in that he did all of it. Degas was the same. He sculpted, he painted, he, you know, like, like worked in I think they worked in fabric. They did all different versions at an excellent level. It was a talent that was otherworldly. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then the next one that I have is Monet or Dolly. Oh, Dolly. So weird and so unbelievable. Mm -hmm. There's an amazing, uh, his depiction of the crucifixion in the Met is cubist and almost Trump Loy, almost like real body. It's, it's unbelievable. And he painted his wife and look, go to the Met, look at the, the crucifixion by Dolly. Um, the, the, the cross is cubit on cubes and it's floating in the air and there's no stigmata or no wounds. It's just a beautiful mm. body. Mm. And his, he's painted his wife standing and looking up at Christ in the sky mm. and look at her, look at the fabric of her dress. That is what is the most impressive to me. I'm like, how do you do that? Like, yeah. how, did you how did you paint that? Because it looks like it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Okay, one more. Yeah. Surratt or Van Gogh? <sighs> mm. I got I to do Sunday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's well, gotta... we all of a sudden, it now has a soundtrack, right, yeah, to it's... his painting. But... So again, it becomes a, a almost four-dimensional experience for mm -hmm. us, comes to life in a way that... Yeah. You can't quite explain. That's what I'm hoping Walk On Through does for people because you get to witness the art, but listening. And 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 I'm about to possibly write this into the show, so hot take. Um, okay. Ah. Um, but there's there was a day when I decided to I was listening to house music, and I was in a I was I was in, during the pandemic when they let people back in, and I was like, I need to re-engage with this 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 art. And I put my headphones on and I listened to, I walked through the museum as an experience and put house music in my ears. So I'm listening with this, mm. looking at this classic, you know, some people can say old fashioned, dusty, stuffy old building, which I have now come to know it's constantly trying to break the mold and, and bring new in, but it is the, the most, it's the preeminent museum of our country. And I was listening to like, 
and like staring at like Perseus holding Medusa's head or mm. looking at looking at tapestries or going through the French rooms and that they I don't you know those rooms where they dismantled them and reassembled them with the wooden floors and the chandeliers and the tapestries and you can look in and it's like what happened in here? What mm. debauchery that mm. they get up to in here? <laughs> how high were those collars? But how low was the were those morals? You know, mm-hmm. you know. It's, it's like, funny. My husband always says <clears throat> that true genius is taking expertise from one domain and mixing it with expertise from an, a completely different domain. And when uh, you put those together, you create true genius. And it sounds like that's what you did, right? You took the brilliance of this visual domain and you combined it with this a completely modernized different audio domain and you're yeah. putting them together and you're creating and it stirred up some kind of genius in you. Yeah. And I'm trying I'm I'm trying to do that with the musical choices. I like to I'm when I first started writing music, I was writing music when I was my first song I wrote when I was 20, I was in college and I was at the Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera getting my equity card. <laughs> And I played it for this girl Heather Mazer who's a dear friend of mine and in that moment she held in her hand Am I going to go right or am I going to go left? Because oh, if God. she had, if she hadn't received with such, oh, Kevin, that was beautiful. I don't know that I would have written another song. She could have been like, oh, wow. huh, mm. okay. That's why I say anybody who has the courage to create anything, meet yeah. them, meet them with an open heart. Your opinion is irrelevant. Like you don't need to tell them what you think when they're, when they open their heart to you. It's just such yeah. a terrifying, vulnerable space. Yep. Yeah. It's not lying. There's always something beautiful. If nothing more than you made that, you sat down and then you had the vulnerability and the daring to go, can I share something with you? If you yeah. never made anything, you don't know what that's like. That's okay. Right. You don't have to be a maker, but you do need to hear us who are makers to say, be, be gentle with people who are, can I show you something? Yes. No, I think that's really beautiful. I really yeah. do. And especially now, because the world is so divided that when you say anything that someone doesn't agree with, that you're canceled, you're pushed out, you're in the enemy. And so to be that vulnerable and show part of yourself with knowing that it's not going to, everyone's not going to understand it. Mm. Some people are just going to think it's bizarre and whatever they might think of it, but that's their crap that they're imposing on your vision. And that's so unfair. That's such an unfair thing to do to someone who has the guts to come out and, and share themselves. But what you just said is the wise, it's wise to be, if, if that comes at you as a creator, that's a very wise thing to say. And I appreciate you saying that. That's not your stuff. It's yeah. hard to do. It's hard to say, because I, I have a tendency to take everything too personally. Yeah. It's, it's As an actor, it's something that Into the Woods, to be honest with you, is the first time where I'm really trying to shift that dialogue as an actor. I've never been as courageous in the rehearsal room as I have been in Into the Woods, like just trying shit. I think people sometimes think I might be screwing around. And there are times when I'm trying to tickle my co-stars. I love to make my co-stars <laughs> laugh or like, but most of the time I, I stand by this. The only way to not get bored by doing the same thing over and over is go mining, get your, yeah. pickaxe, get your pickaxe out and go find something. I'm not up there screwing around. I'm not bored. This is this is me listening to the bre- the breath of the audience, listening to the breath of my co-stars. We are we are. It's an evolving piece. If yeah. 
And I don't believe that as actors, we should freeze anything. No. It, it keeps Each tra- wave is different and we yeah. ride the wave the way it comes at us. And I'm yeah. I'm yeah. in agreement with you. There when it does nights. get boring is when it's frozen and it's the same right. thing all and the time. Stale. And you're trying to create that same timing. It's become stale. You, you're not yeah. communicating anything. No. But I will hearken back to what we said at the beginning of this conversation, which was the telling and the selling and how... Mm. Gav, you and I said, gosh, we we love it when our pals say, that was awesome. This is what I enjoyed. And I guess that too is a part of the selling. We're wanting them to receive and and buy what we just told. Yeah. And then I listened to Mary Lee saying, but that's not the job. The job, what you think of me is none of my business. Mm-hmm. My business really is just like you said, go out there, tell the truth. and then." That's it. Can I posit this? This is something that bakes my noodle. I talk about this as much as I can. Everything is both wonderful and terrible, boring and exciting. It's okay that it's both obvious and hidden, simple and complicated. What a relief that everything can be both light and dark. What's the last one? Celebratory and melancholy. Did you write that? No, I found it at a at a, at, like a, a you. at an art store, and I was mm-hmm. like, I bought like six copies, and I have them everywhere I do writing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I would say both things are true. I can feel terrible and also wonderful at the same time. So I can be needing that external validation from mm-hmm. the audience, and and I can also source from within when I do or don't get it. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, and, and, and I'm trying to allow that for myself. And it's hard because we live in a world of absolutes, extreme, absolutes and extremes. Yeah. Or, and, or but catch 22s. Yeah, but yes. here's the thing. The whole thing about yeah. yoga is the yin and the yang. It's perfectly balanced, male, female, dark, light, challenging, easy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the perfect life is that perfect balance. It's not supposed to be all one or the other. And I think we run into trouble when we say, why don't I feel great right now? I should feel great. Look how blessed my life is. Stop complaining. No, that's that's not how it works. It's okay. You can notice all the blessings. And of course, there's challenges. There's always mm. challenges. But the key is to not put labels on them, mm. to just allow what they are as feelings. Okay, well, I'm going to feel this. It's going to go through me and I'm going to watch it go away because That's guess what? Meditative. There's a whole other feeling coming right back at you. And ebb if and you flow, try to cling to them, yeah, we talk about ebb and flow all the time all the on time. this show. Yeah, If you try to cling to it, you're just grasping. You're going to make yourself miserable. And if you try to label everything, again, you're just going to be miserable. We put yeah. these expectations on what we want out of an experience, out of a marriage, out of parenting, out of a, a, any relationships. Uh, we put all these labels on them and we, we expect, expect less. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, mm-hmm. I think that's where we go wrong. And the key is truly to just let go and allow that balance. Not everything is yin or yang. It's a balance. New chapter. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Have you traveled a lot? Ooh. Um, Ooh. I have been lucky enough with my profession has traveled me. Um, I spent a lot of time in London. I'd done four shows on the West End, and that has been a real joy to see our industry in a in like a parallel universe. Because mm-hmm. before then, New York became like that great line in Gypsy when she says, New York is the center of everything. She goes, New York is the center of New York. If I'm honest with you, I think I'm more of a domestic than I am, um, than I would think the world would like me to be. 
I really find a lot of joy in hosting. Um, I love sharing. I love my little house. I love cooking with people. I love, um, I'm on vacations for me. I do not find a lot of joy in planning stuff to do on a vacation. Mm. I like finding a beautiful place where I'm going to be comfortable and there's food and there's water. And we just kind of sit for a week Mm. and we talk. I like talking. I love to get in there. I love to talk about what's going on, how your feelings, which I was not, my family is not that way. We do not communicate in that way. And I love them, but that's not their language. And it's something I found. I'm, I'm very proud that I found on my own as I've gotten older. Um, so travel, I always think travel is a, more of a conceptual idea with me than an experiential idea. I ask yeah, because please. you are so attuned to humanity and you are so Thank committed you. to affect change, whether that's civil or social justice or equity mm. and equality. And that to me, when I speak to people, I like to call our chatty times after I've been squashed by the giant um, <laughs> dishing and Doritos because we dish yeah. a little bit and we eat Doritos. <laughs> so Seb's like, did you hear? I wasn't at, I was like, no, I was dishing and Doritoing. Like, yeah, I missed it. <laughs> but I find that people that travel the world and get to have proximity to different cultures mm. and understandings, there really is an expansive heart and expansive mind. And then this real duty to to justice, to equality, to wanting yeah. to affect change. And you do that. So that's why I ask about the travel. Thank you. You know what I think we do as New Yorkers is we travel. I think when you sit in New York City, you can't escape the different, mm. the, the many different facets of humanity. Um, maybe the majority of which are city folk, obviously, and the majority of which are... I would say liberal. So mm -hmm. there's a bit of a bubble there, but I also, it's no coincidence. I'm sorry, America, but this is the hard truth. All of the major urban centers where people have to figure out how to live together are blue. We do it. And All we of do them. it. And we mm -hmm. figure it out. We figure it out. So the re we're not Democrats because we woke up saying we want to, you know, government yeah. take over my life. We and don't, we're just going to give our money away to whoever. Yes. Yes. We're all mindset. tree hugging, whatever are we, right. we are tree hugging because we realize, well, if I eat all of the cookies, then there's no cookies for everybody else. And, mm -hmm. and then I have to deal with, let's just call it, let's not even say we're altruistic. Let's just say, if I don't give more cookies to people who literally have nowhere to live, then there's just going to be more people on the sidewalk with nowhere to live. And it's going to make it harder for me to walk down the sidewalk. Let's, let's, let's take ourselves out of the Jesus land or altruism. Let's just say we are witness to the inconveniences the of balance, the, of, the of, of, of imbalance. Of balance. We are, we are, we witness the inconvenience of imbalance when you're off in a farm, living a beautiful life, taking care of all of your other friends and family who all look exactly like you and think exactly like you. And you're never challenged to think outside of racial divide, um, gender divide, sexual orientation divide, um, any of these divides. You don't have to think because of course you don't bless you. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not a bad person, but you don't think about these things because you're not sharing a subway car with people. You're the only white gay male on the... Chances are you're not the only gay person on that subway, but chances <laughs> most of the time on my line, there are many times I, I look around as an exercise. There are no other white people on this car. Right. This mm -hmm. is amazing. Amazing. Just 
I don't even talk to anybody. I'm just in my, I'm playing euchre on my phone or I'm meditating or whatever. But I look around and I go, thank God I'm not surrounded by a bunch right. of people who look and think like me. Because it like doesn't- what you just said, proximity equals a bit of understanding. And once you understand, there's empathy. And yes. once there's empathy, then there's a true kinship. There's a true understanding of trying to live in the balance of balance. people that you know, don't look like you, don't believe like you, don't yeah. love like whatever, but who yeah. in fact are exactly are just like, like you. you. Yes. You can attain a lot of that without having to travel. If you, if your world is open to others. So we have this friend, I call her house <laughs> the UN. She, every time you go to her house, there's someone from Colombia, someone from Afghanistan, someone from Rwanda, it. and they're all sleeping over for the weekend because they had nowhere else to go for Thanksgiving. So she invites them all. And so at Thanksgiving, she had eight girls from Afghanistan who had been evacuated wow. this couple of summers ago. Wow. And I went over there and I was chatting with them. And my husband said, they don't know how to drive. Do you want to give them driving lessons? And I was like, yes. Uh. So I loaded them in my car. And I put on Luther Vandross and I was blasting. And I was like, this is who I learned to drive to, girls. Here we go. We went to a parking lot, taught them how to drive. They were driving around. And then on the way home, they said, now we're going to put on Afghan music for you. And but and we drove home to blasting this Afghan music. And I thought, these are just girls. They're just yeah. college girls. They're exactly like I was in college, except they're far away from home and they have no family. And it opened up these whole conversations about what it is to feel what they feel. Mm-hmm. And I get all welled up because it's like those conversations are there for all of us to have all the time. Right but we but don't you, have them because we're so clinging to what we want to believe or how we want things to be. That beautiful story you just shared with all of us, you asked you were curious, you offered, you were in, and also you were inspired by someone else who has the UN as a house. And then it, 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 it inspired you to want to make something. Snow blows. Create. Yes. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're coming, oh, I think I'm ideating. I'm thinking, oh, I want to create, I want to have the UN. Hey, these girls, why don't you come over? Hey, do you want to go drive? This is weird. They don't know how to drive, but you listened to them. Mm-hmm. We don't know how to drive. I know how to drive. And then you had a common goal and then you had a moment and then they shared Afghan Mm -hmm. music with you. And now you're talking in terms, all it takes is just openness and curiosity. And I also hold space. It's scary. It's scary. The unknown of anything is scary. But if you play into the fear, then that's where scarcity starts talking to you. That's where defense starts talking to you. You're afraid you might sound stupid if you ask a dumb question. Yeah. Be scared and, and move. Do it anyway. That's right. It is paralyzing for most people to do what you just said. We as actors have to step out and do this over and over and over again in rooms of people who with arms folded behind tables who decide whether or not we get to have a job (laughs) to pay for things. I understand that fear and that terror, but when you practice it over and over again, you start to get this resilience. Is there a God of your understanding in your life? I believe I, Gavin, need to leave space for everybody to believe what they want to believe. As long as we are practicing the Shema, the Jewish prayer, that the, the hero Lord our God is, or Israel Lord our God is one, believe him or believe God before all things. And the second thing is love. Treat others your, like love your, the golden yes. rule. Yes. So, yeah. so 
agnostics and atheists everywhere are like, okay, I'm going to cut that first part out. So then just live by the second. If you mm-hmm. truly treat each other as you would treat yourself genuinely, merely the thing you were saying earlier about the judgment is the killer. The shame yeah. is the killer. Yeah. That yeah. there is a devil. The devil is you. The yeah. devil is in you. God is in you. Yeah. They're both in us. And you create that reality, deciding what you feed, because our outer world is truly a reflection of our inner world, of our inner thoughts. We create, we are co-creators of our world, of our reality, for the good and the bad. I had the most fascinating conversation with this guy. He's a linguist. He was, he's a genius. And I was at the UN, the lady, my friend's house. (laughs) He's from Rwanda. And he was talking about how in some cultures, children are only taught like four shades of blue. So they literally cannot see any other shades but those four shades of blue. And he said, when we teach our children that there are 50 shades of blue, suddenly there are all these colors that they can now see. And I said to him, God, that can apply to anything. That can apply to joy. We're taught what joy is. That can apply to love. Mm. We're taught what love Mm. is. That can apply to all those things because truth is so subjective. It's so it's so subjective. When you ask, is there a God? Is there something greater than me that I believe? Is yes. But what I get frustrated with organized religion is that Mm. it tells us that there is only one true way. And that really it hurts me, it angers me, it frustrates me because it 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 seems myopic in its hubris. It seems it it excludes entire sects, populations countries, thousands of years of belief, in my opinion, arrogant to what, if you're going to say Christ, and I'm, I'm, I'm referencing Christianity, obviously. If you believe in Christ, I believe he was a hippie who mm-hmm. loved every single thing he came in contact with. And therefore, just like you and I and everybody had God within himself, he lived the most, let's, let's say we believe the story. He lived the most to his potential. So therefore he could turn water into wine and he could walk on water. Well, let's say all those wonderful stories are true because he saw within himself, oh my God, the most purely the way we could all see ourselves. I dig that. But he would never say, unless you do this, you're out. I don't buy it. I don't know if you remember. The way I phrased it was a God of your understanding. I love that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Then the answer is a resounding yes. Yes. And it is constantly changing. It is constantly shifting. It's asking me, but this this is a development that has happened to me in the last year that is terrifying to me, but I am walking towards, is I am no longer going to pray to, believe in, or worship a God that I fear. That I that I am owned by that I'm somehow have to live correctly so that I get something from. That has been a poisoning, paralyzing thing in me. What I'm trying to do, and walk on through explores this in a big way. I'm trying to collaborate with God now for the rest of my life. I wanna I wanna work together. I wanna believe that we are God, like we are together in it, and that I'm when I'm scared I can go. Can I have, can you help me? Because I think we can do this rather than, will you help me? And if you do, then I'll be good. I'll be good. I just, I just think that's like. I think the other thing that's so frustrating about organized religion is they are, those religions are extremely powerful. And with that kind of power, it should, they should have an obligation to not be rigid. 
because they have all the power, they have an obligation to embrace everyone and they don't. And honestly, I think they're missing the boat because people, organized religions are, people don't practice it anymore. My mom and dad, my mom was just saying that her, she's a gross United Methodist church in, in um, Asheville, North Carolina. And they're, she said, "We have no young people in the in the on, in, in the ensemble in in, the, in the congregation. In the congregation, yeah, dying out." And she said, "It's it's it's unnerving because I'm worried about the membership." And I said, "That is sad, and there's also something to look at there. Mm-hmm. Why why don't people feel this way? Yeah. Why aren't young people signing up for? I do think it's cyclical. I think they will have an influx soon, and I think people will be hungry for something. Yeah. And the, the great thing, I took a religion class in college." Ralph Williams, he was like a legendary teacher at University of Michigan. And the, one of the biggest takeaways for me in that class was, I believe that religion, religae, is Latin for commune, to commune. Yeah, to community. Yeah. It was just, it, was, it wasn't about a dogma or, right. or a fearing or a God that ran it's your life. It was a fellowship. It was. Helping each other and coming right. together. Yeah. It, was, it was out of necessity. We need to come together for land, for food. We got to take care of each other. And it was like, let's all talk. It was like getting in there. But just in a temple or a synagogue or yeah. um, a, 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 a mosque or or a church. And I always know? have a hard time in our ego and hubris. We at this moment, whether it's 2000 years, if we're speaking of Jesus Christ or we're thinking of Buddha, that is mm. a droplet in the billions of years that this universe world were creative and and life forms and animals and the evolution like what are we talking about here on the timeline of existence we are a blip yeah yeah so you know talk about go to a museum go to a planetarium look up and sit there for half hour and really put into perspective we're on this little and how tiny planet. I know. We're this little tiny thing on this little tiny planet that is so <laughs> floating around out there. That's right. Yes. We're a little ornament just floating around in the it's universe. True. Guys, balance, 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 balance. Yeah. And and what's beautiful about what you just said is, and both things are true. And both how, things are true. How beautiful that we are so small and that we can sit here together and have such massive thoughts. Yes. Have have and, and, and think beyond, you know. But the, if, if you're gonna believe, have you ever seen Jill Bolte Taylor's Stroke of Insight? The 18 no. minute TED Talk. No. Tell, tell us Jill Bolte Taylor, a, stro- a stroke of insight, TED Talk, 18 minutes. Watch her. Wait. She is Wait, she's the one that had the stroke, but still could yes. call nine one one. Oh, yes, I'm. She wrote a book. I wrote a book. Yeah, oh, Wait, it's let's remarkable. put that in the link. But but if you're gonna believe, we're talking. They're all the same thing. Both things are true. Oh. We have two sides of our brain. Yeah, one is the logical side, and one is the right. expansive side. And if we have a relationship with both, we allow a communique between both sides. That is the balance, the yin and the yang you're talking about. It's yeah. literally yin. And yeah, in our brains, we've been designed by God, the aliens, Buddha, whatever, energy, air, algae, to be balanced already within us. If I become too extreme, which I'm going to be honest, in my 20s and 30s, maybe even early 40s, I was too much of a right and wrong thinker. I am now having my mind blown open by the incredible Nicole Johnson in our anti-racism trip. Stephanie, Stephanie and I have been fortunate enough to do her edify training course. And 
I am learning about white supremacist culture characteristics and what mm. that means and what what systemic oppression is about. And one of the things is right and wrong thinking mm. that we are, we are made to believe that there is a right way and a wrong way. And that has been founded on years and years of culture, which was formed by in our country, white men. White you know. cis men. Yeah. yeah. And, or and maybe that, not. They may not have been cis. And I know, I know. That's I know. how they decided to present themselves. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. And that and that idea that we can sit here and have this conversation, have our mind blown open and go, oh wow, I never really thought of that. Mm-hmm. And now I'm learning that my work in this world is to try to dig deeper, to look yeah. more, or to think more. There's more colors of blue. That's yeah. Right. That's right. And now it's time for the five questions. As you mentioned, we're going on tour. Three things you have to have. Three things you will not, if it's going to be three nights away from your home, you have to have these three things to function. The first thing that came to mind is my portable tushy bidet. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first thing. My tushy bidet is everything to me. And I just bought, I just bought, I just bought, I just bought, a travel one, which is basically like a rubber water bottle that you put warm water in, then you squeeze that puppy and oh my oh, god, you're getting one. You and Seb are getting one. I'm going to put one in our in our shared bathroom for share bathroom on tour. My second okay. thing on tour, <laughs> I'm going to have to say, is my microphone and my setup to do recording because I want to be writing and creating. Great. And my third thing on tour is a sense of adventure. I want to take. I want to step into. I feel like. God keeps giving me these opportunities to go and become a new version of myself that I'm afraid to become by removing me from the life that I've been, where I feel rigid, rigidized. That's not a word. By it is now, my, my friend, yeah, I want to have a sense of adventure and I want to say yes to things that might scare me. Well, Love can it. I just tell you something really quick? Yeah. Stephanie and I on the um, uh, New Year's Day episode that was Stephanie Sankalpa. Remember, yes. Steph? That's right. That was your ability. Flexibility, flexibility, and and adventure. Then let's 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 just check in with each other gently. Okay. Throughout the tour, I'll be. How's the adventure going? Love it. Yeah. What's next? Okay. You're on death row. Oh. Last meal. Oh, I love this. Um, breakfast for dinner. A soft, slow, soft scramble. Okay. Um, maybe some. I, it's because I'm not going to worry about. Is I can't believe I'm getting killed shortly. So let's (laughs) let's say a thick. A, hot, a, a thick um, brioche French toast mm. that's smeared in peanut butter with, mm-hmm. with tons of syrup. I'm going to put some fresh fruit all over the top of that, strawberries and blueberries. And I'm, Have you I'm, watched Dan Levy's Big Brunch? The Big no, Brunch? I want to watch this. You've been oh, telling so, me about that. Oh my gosh. I got to watch it. I got to watch it. Delish. I'm going to have a mimosa or seven. Or seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You're going, I'm going to do soft well. scramble. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds and, and some kind of meat, maybe all the meats. Maybe <laughs> crispy bacon, soggy bacon, Canadian bacon, English bacon, all of it. <laughs> um, yeah. if we were to walk into your closet, is there a garment or a piece that you will never get rid of because of the memories it holds? That's a beautiful question. You know, I I, I have a, a second bedroom and that closet holds outfits that I got for openings or for award shows or whatever. And those are special to me, not in that the big things that happened in them, but that I marked time by treating myself to something. I'm not really a closed person, but I was like, take a risk, you know, have a smoking jacket made and with it with a, and look like an idiot for the opening night of hair, 
Get a, den- a denim a denim tuxedo was made by Levi's for the opening night of hair the, for the just Tonys. You and worked. Justin Timberlake. You oh, and yes. Justin Timberlake. You better Hell believe yeah. it. I mean, I'm proud. I, I won't get rid of those just because I was like, that was a really special moment. People ask me a lot about winning a Tony and I want to know if this is your experience. But you watch, I watched my whole life dreaming of that moment. I was like, mm-hmm. that would be so cool. I would love to win an award in my community. But what you watch is that direction. We've always seen it from that direction, from a TV. Mm. And the few times I've been in the audience from the audience, which is a a seat I've sat in. You are never prepared for the view Mm. from where you stand holding the thing. You're like, because they're all sitting there staring at you silently, waiting for you to speak. And that's, I understand now why people guffaw or get up there and I'm like, um, um, because it's not, um, um, I didn't prepare. It's not, um, um, I didn't dream of this. It's like, where am I? And mm-hmm. I've never imagined looking at this view during mm. a moment like this. It was bizarre. Did you find that at all? No, I was ready. (laughs) Every time I was at Radio City, I would stand when we were rehearsing our number or whatever to present for the show. I would stand stage right, stage left, center. I didn't envision what that might look like. For me, what I wasn't prepared for and was overwhelmed for, and I may even say in my speech, I'm looking at people that I now love and know. I'm not yeah. a I'm I'm looking at people who babysat my kids. I'm looking at people who said, I hope she gets that job instead of me because of. I'm looking at creators and designers who I collaborated with. So it felt and the enormity certainly yeah. wasn't lost on me, but the enormity was holy cow, I am now part of the fabric of these thousands mm. of people who create in this industry. And I just get to be literally in a different chair, in a different space, but I'm still part of them. I didn't feel separated from them mm-hmm. in any way, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. A hundred percent. First childhood crush. Courtney Pfeiffer, kindergarten. I kissed her and I got in trouble. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to do that. No consent, honey. I hadn't learned consent by five years old. You got in trouble. Did they call your mom and dad? I think so. I can't remember, but I, we were over playing oh, on the wood on the wood jungle gym in the room, and I was like, "We'll play house." And I, no, 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 BB, no kissing. No, no, you do not just kiss somebody. Oh god! And a meltdown, and I had to be sent home. I think. Oh. <laughs> Kindergarten, Jason Puzo. He did not ask my consent either, and it was one of those concrete like tubes that you yes, I had like, go through. I was sitting in it, and he just came right up, Jason Puzo, and laid one on me. And I was like, I'm stuck in this tube. What is happening? <laughs> and I cried, I'm sure, and yeah. got out of there. And Jason so got sent home. Yeah. Jason, I think, did a, yeah, he had yeah. a nice lesson, life lesson mm-hmm. taught in that moment. All right, final. If you were a nail polish, what color would it be? And what's the cheeky little name that you would call it? Oh, I think it would be... Like an like a pale pale pink glitter, mm. but not but not like almost silver. But there's just a hint of blush, and it would be called Dazzle My Dingle. <laughs> <laughs> Dazzle My Dingle. <laughs> you are oh such a joy in oh, my life. So what a gift to be given this whole opportunity. I just. 
adore you, thank Gavin you. James thank you Creel. For, thank you both for having me. This is such, oh my a, gosh. such a pleasure. This was the easiest. Uh, this is so wonderful <laughs> because I'm lucky enough to get to be asked to talk on a podcast, A, and I have done ones before, but this one is truly like you cut, like the first question you asked me was about a piece I wrote, getting in there. like, And also I just have to say, get ready, girl, because we are going to be Doritos and dishing for- oh. For days. Like, I so look forward to it. I can't wait. Yes, Mary, you come out and see us. Come out and oh, visit definitely. us on the road. I'll be yes, here. Yeah. We've got, so, come visit. got some joy. Joy we coming do. out. First thank you. Thank I love you. you. I love you. I'll I love you. Go. Goodbye. Love you too. Bye. Bye. And now, here's what struck a chord with us. You are so lucky to get to work together. He's a lovely human. Like, what yeah. a great person. Yeah. Anytime you find someone who constantly, like he used the words mine, excavate, dig deeper, constantly asking questions, that curiosity that we lose as adults, we see in our children, but then we lose as adults. And when I can find curiosity in a, a grown adult who still shows maturity, who still shows groundedness, but wants to constantly explore and find and learn. He's aware that. of all the stuff he doesn't know. And when he gets dogmatic, you could hear him stop himself and go, wait, no, I shouldn't. I should say right. from my perspective. Right. And that's very rare because, you know, we all think we, we all want to think we have some answers or some truth, you know, and you can tell he's just constantly in search mode. He's searching for the truth and it's very rare. I am this week, I I was given this book probably last year and I didn't pick it up. But when we moved back to New Jersey, I did pack it in Vivi's books and it's called The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and the Horse. Hmm. And it is extraordinary. And now there is, talk about something I want you to watch maybe today. Make me a promise, okay? It's 36 minutes. It's by the same title. The Boy, The Mole, The the Fox, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse. And it is life. And, you know, he reminds me of a line where the boy asked the horse, what's the bravest thing you've ever said? Mm. And the horse responds, help, because it's not weakness. It's saying, I'm not giving up. I'm willing to keep going. Mm-hmm. And there are lines in that that reminded me so much of the way Gavin looks at the world. Mm. And um, again, it's through the voice of a child. It's through the voice of a little boy. The mole says, the first lines are, oh, what are you doing here? And the boy says, I'm lost. And then Mm. for 36 minutes, they move about and these conversations, there's no plot. The conversations and the the, journey is the plot. plot. Yeah. So cool. I'm going to watch it today. You're going to buy 19 books and you're going to want to give them to everybody. You are now going to be a minister and a disciple of well, the boy, that's what, the mole, ever, the fox, and the horse. Did you ever read The Amazing Ivan? I have it. The gorilla. Yeah. You gave it to us. Yes, okay. yes, yes. yes. That, that was me with that book. I yes. sent that book to probably 50 kids. It's the greatest book. It's so special. All right, oh. let's just let's just talk just a teensy tiny bit about okay. Sunset Boulevard. Thank you. Um, it's hard to talk teensy tiny about Sunset Boulevard because there's nothing teensy tiny about this beast. But I am proud of what we're creating. It's a really, you know, uh, quick rehearsal process and it's a really condensed performance process. And when does it open? 
Okay, we open February the 1st and we close February the 8th. And within that week span, there I believe are eight or nine shows. I think we're doing something very different. Um, I do believe with any sort of revival, you have to say, why Why are we telling this story? Um, so I had deep conversations. This was the first time that I was asked by a presenter, what would you like to do? And I got to choose the property and I got mm-hmm. to choose the director and a majority of the cast. It was really a wonderful thing to be invited to the table and help bring all these people together. And the big thing was the why. And I think mental health is now being told mm. by this score in a completely different way. There are moments that show why Norma Desmond has become the way she has become mm. and the sort of culture of beauty at any cost, don't gain a half a pound, uh, constantly being uh, flooded with all sorts of noise about your look and your identity and your worth only being what they see on the screen or how you're Mm -hmm. perceived and what that can do to a person. And in this particular storytelling, Norma Desmond. And this is why we're seeing this woman at such a very fragile and... um, off-balanced state. Mm. At one point, they call her fragile, and it I think it's been played before quite effectively uh, with Glenn Close in a sort of delicate flower that if you say the wrong thing, it will cause her to crumble and, and mm-hmm. cry. Yeah, I'm playing it fragile like a bomb that if you say the uh, wrong thing, there will be explosions. Consequences. There will be, yes, yes. There's a strength to this woman that if you teeter her the wrong way, it can be dangerous. And um, But we do inform with some like, you know, uh, images from the past that inform the audience and give the audience a gauge. This is where she was. And this is why we're seeing her the way we're seeing her now. Oh, so wow. I'm very proud of what is being created in this very short time. Oh my gosh, you're going to be amazing. (gasps) Thank you. Thank you. And I don't know how you're doing everything you're doing, my friend. I really do not know. A lot of things are falling through the cracks, but I just have to be okay with that at this point, you know, and give myself a little grace and be like, well, we'll pick up those three balls that fell yesterday. (laughs) We'll pick them up a different day. It's not happening today. (laughs) They're not rolling anywhere I can't get to. No, I'll grab at them later. I love you. I love you too. Bye. Stages podcast is produced and edited by me, Mary Lee Fairbanks and Stephanie J. Block. Thank you to Allison Arns, our booking agent, Brock Grenfeld, our sound engineer, and Tina Wargo, our social media manager. Original music by Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy. Thank you for subscribing, following, rating, and telling others about this very special podcast. And we'll see you soon. 